Hello, everybody. Um, yeah, my name is Stephen. Um, how original do you want to go, Rick? <laughs> Rick and Joy probably know me. I don't think anybody else really does know me particularly well, because at camp I just quietly put out the chairs and did things like that. But um, I'm really glad to be here. So um, originally I come from New Zealand. That might be in the accent, I think. That would be the giveaway, the last word. Um, but most recently, um, before moving up to Brisbane two years ago, um, my family and I, and Alexander's here with me today, um, were in South Australia for six and a half years, and then before that in Sydney for nine. And in South Australia and Sydney, um, I had a few churches to look after. Um, but up here, I do hospital chaplaincy and retirement village chaplaincy, and have been doing it for the last two years, and I very much enjoy it. It's certainly a change of pace, um, but it's a good change. And most changes are good, I've discovered in life. Um, and um, I'm really enjoying that. And I'm really pleased to be here this morning. Um, I was talking with Sarah and Neil um, in the youth pavilion during big camp. And they mentioned they were short of a preacher for this Sabbath. And I said, well, if you're stuck, I'll, I'll fill in for you if you like. And um, so obviously they were really stuck because I'm here today. Hey, look, um, can I just invite you to bow your heads and we'll pray. And then we'll make a wee start. How does that sound? Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you this morning for this um, beautiful day. It's always a beautiful day in Brisbane. And we are grateful to be alive. We are grateful to be well. And we are grateful to be here to acknowledge you as the God who won the contest at every level. And we belong to you and we are so glad. We thank you that we are on Team Jesus and we have wonderful prospects for today and tomorrow and for eternity because of that. And I thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Whenever I come at the front to talk, I always forget something. Thank you. I want to talk about treasure hunters this morning. Um, when I was a kid, I used to imagine that I was a treasure hunter. And we lived in Lower Hutt. 16 Stamford Street was the address. I think I was about seven, eight, nine was the age that we lived there. And I had a room to myself, which was really good because I had two sisters and they had their own room or rooms. I just can't remember whether they shared or not in those days. Um, and I had a room to myself and I had two cupboards. And above the cupboards, there were two little tiny cupboards, I guess, for want of a better description. So the cupboards were for hanging the clothes, yeah. And then above that were two little cupboards. And I used to imagine that that was where I kept my treasure. Now, there wasn't really any treasure there, but in my imagination, there was all sorts of wonderful things in those two little cupboards that were up there just ever so slightly out of reach for an eight-year-old boy. I imagined there was gold. I imagined there was silver. I imagine there were diamonds and all sorts of special things that I had found in my imaginary treasure hunting that I used to do in my mind. Did anyone ever do that or am I just a weirdo? None of you did that sort of thing? Yeah, a little bit, somewhat, yeah. And anyway, it was quite special. Um, special at least for me. But the reality was there was nothing there except for a few small cardboard things that I'd got in there by standing on one of the chairs from the kitchen. Nothing very special, nothing very important. 
But in my heart, there was a treasure. <clears throat> Can I come down here? Is that okay? Just for a bit? That'd be good. Um, in my heart, there was a treasure, and that treasure was really important. Uh, many years later, I got married, and we had children. And um, that's often what one does when one gets married. Not always, but sometimes that's how it works. And um, at night, when I would put the kids to bed, they'd always say to me, can you please sing a story? I sing a song, sorry. You don't sing too many stories. And I would go, sure, I'll sing you a song. I'll sing you a lullaby. What will I do? And it always ended up with this one, and perhaps you might know it. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. How does it go after that? That's right. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I don't do so much singing these days, it's getting a bit ragged. But anyway, it's all good. And I would sing that song to them. And it got to the point where if I didn't sing that song to them, I would get in trouble. And the reason I sang that song was because that is where the treasure is. I wonder if you've got Bibles, if you could open them up to Matthew. Matthew chapter 13 and verses 44 to verse 46. Matthew chapter 13 and verses 44 to verse 46. It isn't Jesus Loves Me, even though it's a good song. Um, but I think as we work our way through it this morning, we will discover that actually it is Jesus Loves Me. And the Bible does indeed tell me so. So Matthew chapter 13 and verses 44 to verse 46. And for those that haven't got a device or a book, here it is on the screen, all nice and simple. And this is how it goes. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When I read that, I thought of my little cupboard above the wardrobe, which a man found and covered up. Like, why would you do that? If you found treasure hidden in a field, would you put it back in the hole, cover it up with dirt and leave it there? I don't think so. If you were like me, you'd quickly dig it out, grab it, run back to the car, stick it in the boot and take it home. Isn't that what you would do? I know they didn't have cars back there. Maybe they had donkeys with boots or something. I don't know. But, you know. Anyway, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And here comes the good part. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Now, I understand that. I did law at university just for a bit of fun. And um, while I was doing law at university, I learned that the degree of the annexure to the land that the thing has determines how much it belongs to the land. Well, this is pretty annexed, isn't it? Like he's dug it, it's in a hole, it's covered over, it's covered in dirt. So if you own the land, you own the 
That's exactly right. You own the treasure because it's dug in a hole. It's covered over with dirt. For all intents and purposes, it's part of the land. It must have been really valuable treasure because how much does he spend on it? Everything that he has. And is he happy about this? Yeah, he's full of joy. Now, I look at my bank account every fortnight, sometimes a few days in between. Doesn't fill me with joy. It usually goes, oh, well, there it is, and hello, it's gone. And what have I got to show for it? Not a heck of a lot. But this man, he emptied his bank account, and what he had to show for it was a piece of land. And somewhere in that land, if he got out his spade and dug a little bit, there the treasure was, or so the story goes. Okay. Again, verse 45. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. A merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl, one, not a whole bunch of them, just one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Two very simple stories, aren't they? Very short stories. The best sort of story is a short story. And what makes short stories really important is that it tells you when something is short that every word has been thought over, somewhat agonized over, because you don't have too many words to waste. And in this case, I think that's very much the case. Every word is important. All right. Pearls. Who likes pearls? Yeah, yeah. Your wife likes pearls, yeah? Anybody else like pearls? Pearls are nice. I went to um, Tahiti many years ago. And Tahiti is an important part of French Polynesia. And um, when you get to Tahiti, um, it's nice. It's got black sand, which isn't great, but it's nice. If you want to have the nice sand, you go just out off that island to the nearby islands, and they've got beautiful white sand, the sort that we all like and expect to see on tropical islands. But if you hop in a small cigarette-like plane and go from Tahiti down to a place called Mangareva. Has anyone been there? No? Well, that's good. I can say whatever I like then, can't I? <laughs> go down to Mangareva. That is where you get pearls. Now, not the white, shiny pearls like it's on the screen, but the black pearls. And um, so when I went to Tahiti, there was a market in the main city there on the main island, and you could buy black pearls from Mangareva. And so I thought, that's going to be cool. I'll, I'll buy my sisters, because I was single at the time. I'll buy my sisters and I'll buy my mother some pearls. And so I, I read up about what you were supposed to look for. You looked at the luster. You looked at the shape. You looked at the size. And there was a few other things you were supposed to assess to tell you whether the pearl was a really, really good one or not. I discovered the really, really good ones I couldn't afford. <laughs> they were really expensive, really, really valuable. And I found some pearls and I scored some and brought them home back to New Zealand for my mother and my sisters, and they were suitably impressed. Back in Jesus' day, pearls were really, really important. In fact, they were perceived in the way that you and I would perceive diamonds today. How neat is that? Anyone watch Breakfast at Tiffany's? In one of those old movies? Oh, yeah, some of the older ones have watched Breakfast at Tiffany's. It's all about diamonds, isn't it? Because diamonds are... 
Thank you. Yeah, diamonds are a girl's best friend. Well, back in Jesus' day, it was pearls. Pearls were the thing, not diamonds, pearls. And if you had a nice big string of pearls around your neck, then you were doing pretty well, and everybody knew that you were doing pretty well. These days, if you have a big rock on your hand, that's sort of your sign, isn't it? But in those days, it was pearls. And so when Jesus tells a story about pearls, he's talking to people, and they understand the importance of that story. All right. Next question. What is the kingdom of heaven? Okay, if you look at Matthew chapter 13, they're all parables, and they're all parables about what's called the kingdom of heaven. Does anyone have a little idea of what the kingdom of heaven might be? Oh, well, the good news is the Bible actually has a very simple answer. If you open your Bibles and, or your devices, look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, it kind of tells us what is the substance of the kingdom of heaven. And we're all inclined to think it's a way and other, but that's not exactly what the Bible seems to suggest. Okay, it's on the screen. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So let me ask the question again. What is the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, it's people. Any, any, any sort of people? Yeah, everybody can be in the kingdom of heaven, but what, what gets you in? What makes you a part of the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, believing in Jesus, becoming part of God's people gets you into the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is you guys. You guys are the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so let's just keep that in mind. Our next question, which isn't really on the screen, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, who is the focus of the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, Jesus is the focus of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, I want you to think about the two stories that we just read. And I want to ask you some more questions if that's okay. What are the similarities between the two stories? What are they both about? Yeah? Yeah? All right, well, let's look at it. It's the first one is both stories tell us about the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty obvious um, because they're in the chapter 13 and all the stories in chapter 13 talk about the kingdom of heaven. Okay? There's searching involved in both stories. Um, maybe more searching involved in the second story. I always imagine the first story, the guy's, I don't know, plowing the field for somebody. Maybe he's been hired and he's in the process of plowing the field and his, um, what's that thing that you have on the plow called? Furrow, is it? Blade, yeah. The blade hits something unusual and so he stops and digs around and hello, he's found treasure. That's how I always imagine it. It doesn't actually say that in the story. But he finds it, okay? How about this one? Both stories involve selling all that a person has in order to purchase a treasure. That would be right, eh? Anything else in both stories that you can think of? Oops, a daisy. What happened there? I pushed the wrong button. Are you able to help me out the back there? Thank you. The old fade slowly. There we go. 
joy characterizes both stories. It doesn't actually say it in the second one, but it's there by implication, but it states it very, very clearly in the first one. So those are the three points, I think, when I read the story anyway, that show similarities. Can you see any differences in the story? When I was a kid reading these stories, I thought that these stories told exactly the same thing. But the more I read it, the more I realized they tell the opposite thing. All right, let's have a look. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps one would, you think the merchant was a pretty wealthy sort of a dude. And that would mean that the pearl was incredibly expensive. And I always, like you, think the guy that found the field um, didn't have quite so much. And so it was a bit of a big deal. Yeah, I think you're right. I think in the first story, it's almost accidental. And in the second story, it's very, very intentional that this person is searching and looking for a very fine pearl. Okay, let me ask you a question. What is the kingdom of heaven specifically likened to in each story? Okay, in the first one, it's treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field, I think, of the wording that it used. What does it say the kingdom of heaven is like in the second story? Does it? The king, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Let me ask you a question. In which story is the kingdom of heaven active? The second one. Because the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was looking for fine pearls. You don't find fine pearls uh, sitting on the steps of the stage and waiting for them to turn up. So in the second story, the guy is actively doing something in order to find the fine pearl. What's the kingdom of heaven doing in the first story? Waiting. It's waiting there underground because it's treasure that is hidden in a field. So in the first story, the kingdom of heaven is doing nothing at all. In the second story, the kingdom of heaven is doing everything. So these aren't parables in parallel, they are parables in contrast, if that makes any sort of a sen- any sense. Okay, so treasure in a field, a merchant in search of fine pearls. I get nervous when I push the button. Yeah, I just did that. Okay, so the treasure is lying waiting to be found, The merchant in search of fine pearls, he's very busy going on a treasure hunt. So what are the implications for this? Let's click the button, what the heck. In the first story, it tells me that the kingdom of heaven is worth all I have. Think about that for a minute. This guy, he's working the field, he finds the treasure lying there, and in his joy, he covers it up and he goes home and he sells every single thing he has in order that he might purchase the field. That's a pretty mind-blowing commitment to obtaining the treasure 
which is the kingdom of heaven. In the second story, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure hunter. Yes, who also sells everything he has in order to buy one, just one, not a dozen, not two dozen, just one pearl. I want to suggest to you this morning that in the second story, Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on a search for fine pearls. And when he finds one, just one, not a hundred, not two thousand, not four hundred million, just one pearl of great value, he sells everything he has in order to acquire it. What's the pearl? We are the pearls. We are the pearls of great price. And how do I know that? Because I know my Bible just a tiny little bit. I don't say I know it cover to cover, but I know enough to know that in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 to 11, it says that God did something in order to acquire you. This is what it says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. You know, um, babies. What do babies do if you drop them? Not that you would ever want to do that. But what's the baby's natural reaction when you drop it? What movement does it make? It does this, doesn't it? Why does it do that? It doesn't want to hit the ground, yeah? It doesn't want to be let go. go. That's right. It wants to grasp on to you. It doesn't want to let go. And that's the kind of same phrasing that is used here, okay? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to, to be kept close, to be kept tight, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What does it tell us that Jesus did? He put aside everything that was of value. It's like he spent all that was in his bank account to acquire you because you are his pearl of great price. Therefore, God has highly exalted him And bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, what are the implications of this story, these two stories? Because, of course, that's kind of important, isn't it? The kingdom of heaven is worth all I have. I'm not totally comfortable with that um, implication. Okay, sure, every fortnight I look at my bank account and slowly over the course of the two weeks, it disappears, right? And then, hello, hey, presto, and wonderfully every two weeks, another lump of money pops in. Um, Sometimes just in time, sometimes just a little bit 
late, but it gets there just the same. You know what I mean? Like, it would have been good if it had come a few days earlier to deal with the bills that I had to pay. But the kingdom of heaven is worth all that I have. Secondly, the kingdom of heaven is active. It's a treasure hunter. It doesn't just sit here on the step and wait for things to fall into its lap. The kingdom of heaven goes out and it searches for what? Yeah, for us. It searches for fine pearls. Jesus is the kingdom of heaven personified. Okay, He is the one who comes and sets the example on this occasion. Not that it means that we're going to be more saved if we go out and do this stuff. We're saved because of what he has done on the cross, and that was beautifully shown in the kids' story this morning. But that's what Jesus did. Three, we are worth heaven's best. Imagine that. I don't know if you do self-analysis, but I do self-analysis on a regular basis. And my self-analysis doesn't come up with big numbers. It tends to come up with, gee, that's, you know, yeah, there's a few shortfallings there. You're not really up to the mark. Yet, oh my goodness me. Yet the Bible says and teaches that Jesus considers me worth all that he has. And I find that remarkable and amazing and gracious. When we accept that that is the case and we recognize what Jesus has done for us, we become part of God's kingdom. Remember that text before in Peter. And so when we join the kingdom of heaven, we become treasure hunters too. It's not like we join in and we sit down on the step and go, woohoo, I'm in, I'm okay. Well, yes, you are okay and you are in, but then you get the privilege of doing what Jesus did and going on a search for fine pearls as well. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we recognize that we are Jesus' pearl, then we join the hunt and we go and find more pearls as well. That's what we're called to do. And that's pretty cool. Why? Well, it brings us back to the song that we started with, doesn't it? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, because the Bible tells me so. You see, we are his pearl of great price. Jesus, despite our own self-assessments, sees us of immense value. So much value that he left the courts of heaven. He put aside what it meant to be God in order that you and I might be able to be with him and be with him for today, for tomorrow, and forever. That's pretty cool. And then he says, come on, let's find a few more. 
Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you that in Jesus you came into our world and sought out pearls of great price. And we are amazed to discover that that is what you see us as. And we thank you. We honor you. We value you. And we look up to you for your graciousness and your kindness and your wonderful view of us. Thanks for each person here, Lord. I pray they'll have a wonderful long weekend and that um, things will go well for them. Not necessarily everything will go right, but it will go well for them because you are with them each day. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.